Hey, welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. Today we have a special guest, Avery Carl from Short Term Rentals and Investing. And Avery Carl is a Wall Street Journal Top 100 agent in 2020, and her team at the shop, Short Term Shop, focuses exclusively on vacation rentals and short term rental clients. Avery has helped over $200 million in short term rentals you know, since 2017, and as an investor herself, has over 30 properties. She specializes in connecting with investors. Uh, focusing on short-term rentals, creating the highest ROI potential. Uh, she has offices in Gatlinburg, Panama City Beach, and Gulf Shores, Alabama. So definitely welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Can't wait to get to know more about you, about short-term rentals, the investing side, and a lot of fun facts about you that we can dive into. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. So first off, you know, like, let's learn more about you. Like, how did you get started into real estate and especially short term rentals? Uh, uh, I mean, it's pretty similar to every other real estate investor story. Uh, I was hating my corporate job. Uh, my husband and I moved to Nashville. We don't live there anymore, but we moved to Nashville in 2013. I didn't have my license yet. I was working as a marketing manager then. And uh, we... Our real estate agent at the time was really trying to get us to buy in this super hip, fast appreciating part of Nashville. And we didn't really want to do that. We were, you know, coming from Brooklyn, we were tired of neighbors. So we wanted to buy something out in the country with some land. So we did that, but we had a little bit of money left over and we did decide to buy a, it was actually a long-term rental, uh, decided to buy a property in that area having no idea what we were doing. We didn't even know it was called real estate investing at the time. <laughs> we were like, oh, we're going to buy a rental house. Cool. <laughs> and luckily it ended up being, we still have that one. Uh, it ended up cash flowing really well. And when we got that first rent check, we thought, okay, this is something we want to repeat. This is something we want to scale. So then we started educating ourselves and reading books and listening to podcasts and things like that. And we had like one single family, small single family worth of down payment or capital left for a down payment. And we thought, okay, what can we do? What can we buy with this that will make us the most amount of money, the fastest so that we can buy more properties faster. We landed on short-term rentals, but we didn't want to do it in Nashville because the regulations in Nashville are just ridiculous for short-term rentals. So we thought, well, where can we go where it's just a normal thing has always been normal for people to rent just a single family home when they go on vacation. So we landed on the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee. It's about three hours east of Nashville. And we, uh, again, had no mentorship, didn't know anybody who was doing the same thing. We knew that we didn't want to put it on a management company. Uh, and we knew that we could figure out a way to manage it remotely from Nashville without actually being there. So again, we just bought something and figured out the systems and it turned out really, really well. We bought a, a cabin and um, long story short, scaled that into five cabins over the next year and a half. I got my real estate license along the way there. And uh, the short-term shop just kind of came about when friends of mine were, you know, we'd be chit-chatting and I'd be telling them, you know, how much money we were making on our cabin. And uh, they said, oh, well, I want one of those. Show me how to manage that. And uh, it went from friends wanting short-term rental properties to clients, just, you know, clients that I didn't know wanting short-term rental properties. Uh, very quickly became the top agents in the Smoky Mountain market. And now we are also in the Destin, Panama City Beach area, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Blue Ridge, Georgia, and uh, most recently the Forgotten Coast in Florida. So the Cape San Blas, St. George Island 
Port St. Joe area. Nice. That's really cool that, you know, it's really hard to get started in real estate, especially and especially as a first time investor without any mentorship or help. And you're just going in, uh, you know, face forward and hopefully getting through the grind and learning throughout the, the venture, fun adventure. Right. And definitely I love real estate investing in multi-unit specifically, but, you know, doing uh, buying single family homes, doing vacation rentals, that's a different uh, avenue. And it's really cool how you you notice the difference between, you know, like, for example, landlord friendly states, tenant friendly, uh, Airbnb friendly vacation rentals. And you chose a specific area that has a good uh, amount of that and is allowable and that they're comfortable with it. So then I guess you would predict that things wouldn't change too much too quickly, right? Right, right. Nice. And then like, how do you like when you have a choice to choose different specific areas that are open to Airbnb style vacation homes? How did you choose that specific area to get started? Yeah. So when I choose an area now, because now I have vacation rentals in several different markets. So yeah. there, to well, I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit first. So there's three types of markets that you can buy short term rentals in. there's metro markets like Nashville, New York, San Diego. Uh, there are big fly to vacation rental markets like Hawaii or any of the Rocky Mountain ski areas. Uh, and then there are the regional drivable vacation rental markets. Um, so I stick with the regional drivable ones because they are more affordable and for a vacation, not necessarily to buy the real estate, but they're affordable vacations for people. And uh, they're a little bit more recession resistant. So in a recession, whether it's, you know, because people don't have any extra money or because they don't want to get coronavirus, uh, they, you know, they're not necessarily flying to the big vacation markets and they're not going to big major cities, but they are still doing the five to eight hour weekend drive vacations. So I stick to those markets just because the tourism doesn't get limited as much by economic factors. Mm. And also I choose markets that generally that are that are tourism dependent. So the markets I'm in don't have a lot of industry outside of tourism, not a lot of primary residents, primary residents and a lot of hotel presence are the two things that are a bad mix for short term rentals, because those are the things that cause a lot of the anti short term rental regulation. So I choose areas that are 100% dependent on the income from short-term rentals that have been, you know, been short-term rental markets since well before Airbnb places that you would go. And like it, when you go to the beach, you rent a condo or a beach house, you go to the mountains, you rent a cabin, think places like that. So places that are super friendly regulation wise, uh, decently recession resistant, nothing's going to be recession proof, but you do the best you can. And, um, places that are, that are a, an affordable vacation. That actually makes a lot of sense. And that's actually good that you uh, mentioned that too, because when people think of vacation homes, the first thing they think of is, you know, uh, big metropolitan areas. Let's go Hawaii. Let's go to San Francisco. Let's go to San Diego or let's go to New York, right? And get a vacation home. But the like, you're right. The cost of that is enormous, in the, especially paying the mortgage, the maintenance, the management. And uh, one thing you mentioned is being drivable. So being drivable is really great because you're so close by. You could self-manage it. You can remotely manage it. You could hire a property manager. But one thing is you're looking at your cost, right? And then how do you remotely manage something that's three hours away instead of having a property manager? How do you do that? Oh, yeah. So actually, most of our clients live in California or live mm -hmm. uh you know, not even within driving distance of the places that they're buying. Cause you know, you can't always live nearby or in driving distance of the great places to invest. 
uh, but really everything so that your boots on the ground people, you just need a good cleaner and a good handy person. And you can build the rest of your vendor list out from there. Like those people are going to know a roofer or an HVAC technician. And the rest of it is just automation tools and channel managers. Uh, you, we just use Airbnb and VRBO, but there are a lot of other platforms that are similar to that. We stay so booked on those two and got so little bookings on anything else. It doesn't worth the subscription fees, but, um, the channel management platforms have really made it a lot easier to automate a lot of the tasks that are involved because it's really just, you know, managing a vacation rental is really just glorified scheduling and maybe making the occasional maintenance call. So it's not as bad as people think that it is to do remotely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Cause like when I did a vacation rental in Hawaii to go travel there, the owner had it all like pretty much remotely managed herself. You can tell, uh, she's really clean. She had like automated, automated newsletters, automated information about the property, the access, the lock, the lockbox, not lockboxes, smart keys, mm -hmm. uh, the access, the cleaning schedule and any questions. And then afterwards, you know, post reviews, uh, it was like so seamless that you didn't even think there was a property manager. You didn't even think the owner was managing it. It was just like self-manage and run. And you know, her rates, her reviews are really good yeah and that's you know kind of the way of the future the the brick and mortar local property management companies are really just kind of on their way out they really do have to adapt or die basically and a lot of the big major property management companies like vacasa evolve turnkey i mean they they're national companies that are managing properties you know all across the country and they're basically big remote managers yeah, that's that's right. And the technology is helping them just to automate and streamline the process even further. And as smart technology comes in, smart lockboxes come in and, you know, all the Wi-Fi access and it gets easier and easier to manage these properties. And like you mentioned before, having a good vendor list just to help you clean it, to maintain it, then it really becomes self-managed in a sense because they are kind of watching out for you too, right? They know that this is part of their property that they're managing in a sense of cleaning, but they know they want to look if there's anything wrong with it too. So that's kind of nice, extra pair of eyes. Yeah, your cleaners are really kind of your mini property managers because if you're getting bad reviews and you're not getting booked, that means they're not doing cleans and they're not getting paid either. So they, you know, they really are a trustworthy source to tell you if there's anything wrong. Like our cleaners will tell us, hey, you know, it's time to buy new sheets. Your sheets are looking a little dingy or, uh, or I mean, and some of them will even on a different pay structure say, we'll replace these for you. And, um, you know, they just charge you more per clean to cover that cost. But we like to do, uh, we like for them to just tell us when it's time to do something. We'll get on Amazon and order, you know, that way you kind of have some quality control over what is being stocked. And uh, we just Amazon it to them. <laughs> nice. So like what made you decide to focus like exclusively on vacation short-term rentals when you're first going into real estate? Usually people buy single-family homes, they do long-term rentals, they might buy an investment property or do a flip. How did you choose to go to short-term rentals first? Uh, when I, in, in my sales business or just in my investment business? Uh, both. Okay. So investment business, I don't only do short-term rentals. I've got 30 something properties, like 39 and seven of them are short-term. So I like to think of the short-terms as like little income turbochargers to help you get more cash flow rolling faster to scale your portfolio. Cause it's good to have a diverse portfolio overall. I don't think it's necessarily smart to go all in on any of it. I mean, some people would, would disagree. I have plenty of clients that will not touch long terms. They only want to do short terms. And there's plenty of like multifamily guys out there that would never mess with a short-term rental. So uh, diverse portfolio is good, but short terms can be a really great place to start because the cash flow is so much heavier. You can get a, a, uh, 
conventional loans. So the interest rates are better. Down payment is less generally uh, because you do have that 10% down vacation home loan option. And um, so it's just a really great place to start to scale faster. Uh, in my real estate sales business, I actually, I tried to resist focusing only on short-term rentals. That's where most of my clients were coming from, but I was still, when I first started trying to be a jack of all trades and, you know, just selling any kind of real estate that I could get my hands on. And it wasn't until my second year of real estate, I just sold, you know, I want to say 30 million, um, nice. my first real and real year in real estate. And the majority of that was short-term rentals, but I was really trying to resist that. And, uh, I took a client who was a friend of mine's parent, uh, or both her parents actually. And they ran me all over Tennessee, ended up firing me because I didn't know where to find the serial number on a $50,000 mobile home. So <laughs> here I am thinking I'm doing them a favor because I've sold so many, so much real estate in the past year and then realized, oh, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Why don't I just focus on the thing, on the place where the money is coming from and just be an expert at that? Because clearly trying to do everything is not going to work because you need to focus on one thing. So at that point I was like, okay, I just got fired over a $50,000 deal. I'm just going to focus on what makes me the most money. That's the uh, best way to do it. You know, focus on what you do best and what you love. You can tell you're passionate about it too. So it just comes off even better. You know, when you talk to clients, they know like you really know what you're doing and they just have the absolute trust in you to, Hey, help them with short-term rentals, help them with vacation homes, even though specifically general, generally like you might want to do everything. It's harder. It is harder to know all the different products, all the different areas, all the different property types, everything about every single category is not easy to do at all. But, you know, it's really nice that you can, you have a really good niche too that not many people are in as well. Right. So when you're, um, when you started building this up and how did people find out about you? How did they learn that you were the short-term rental person to go to? How did they see that? It really just started with word of mouth and like going to real estate investor meetups. Um, cause real estate investors are always looking for like the next thing to make the most money. You know, um, if everybody's focusing on one specific asset type and it becomes a really hot thing to try and get it, the margins start to get smaller and smaller because everybody's trying to get it and outbid you. So, uh, I just started going to those and networking with other real estate investors. And it was just something that, that a lot of them weren't doing at the time. And it was almost like it it's only recently become seen as like a legitimate real estate investing strategy, you know, like burrs and buy and holds and flips, you know, those have all been around forever, but short-term rentals are kind of a new thing in terms of everyone being able to do it as of the last 15 years, you know, with, with the rise of Airbnb. So, um, I just kind of networked with other investors and then investors know other investors. And it was really just all kind of word of mouth to start out. Nice. And how does it compare when you start talking to investors and they start asking you, well, how does a short-term vacation rental compare to a single family buy and hold a multi-unit um, investing in different areas versus, you know, um, short-term rentals? Well, it's, it's definitely more work to manage a short-term rental than it is to, you know, buy a 12 unit apartment building and put it with a property manager. But a lot of people, it's just a lot more accessible for more people to buy, you know, put 10 to 20% down on a $600,000 short-term rental than it is to 
go get a commercial loan, uh, you know, having no experience and not really having any assets, you know, it's difficult to get a commercial loan if you don't have a lot of experience to show sometimes. Um, so it's just a very attainable asset for more people. Um, so because of that, people are a little more drawn to it. It's definitely more work than a long-term, but at the same time, people also assume, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to have to spend more on maintenance because there's more people in and out, but I found the opposite to be the case. So when a tenant moves out of my long-term rentals, I can generally expect to have to paint, add new carpet, all that. Cause you know, they're in there doing God knows what for however <laughs> long and the short terms are being professionally cleaned two or three times a week sometimes. So it's actually easier to maintain and less to maintain a short term because there's, you know, there's not somebody just hold up, you know, smoking cigarettes that you don't know about for a year and a half in your property. Yeah. I think one thing, or sometimes I feel like misconception is that, okay, I got a short term rental. Like how often is it really going to be booked throughout one year? How much cleaning do I need to do? How much maintenance do I need to do? Uh, and, but like you just said, you, your maintenance overall should be less because the, the property is being managed more often. It's being watched more often. It's being clean. So the overall management should be less because you're actually aware of things faster that's happening. And then the use cycle, people are coming in and out a vacation rental people are you know visiting the area they're mostly not at home they're there to sleep there to enjoy the view maybe in, in the location but they're not there to live full-time and you know god knows how many friends come over how much if they're smoking drinking partying you don't know right as much and throughout how many years so that deterioration can go really quickly as well um the, but the part about being vacant too, you can have an idea of being vacant because you can take a look at the area. You can take a look at um, the other places that are for rentals and kind of see how they're performing as well before you actually buy your first property, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few different sources where you can find that kind of information. Uh, AirDNA is one of them. It's a data company that focuses on short-term and vacation rental performance. It's not gospel. So, you know, don't go to AirDNA and... Mm -hmm and just say, oh yeah, that my property is definitely going to do this. Uh, it's, it's just a nice guide. It's a data point. Uh, and you can see what the market has done as a whole by number of bedrooms. So if you're looking at five bedroom properties, you can see, okay, they've been 60% booked annually at an average this price per night. And the average revenue is about this much. So you can do that. Uh, another way to kind of eyeball it is what I call the enemy method, where you go on Airbnb or VRBO and look in the neighborhood where you are, where your subject property is and kind of look around at your neighbors, look at what they're doing, what you can see, what their price per night is, what their cleaning fee is. You can't obviously see their annual numbers that way. You can just kind of see, you know, what's happening over the next month. But, um, and you can also kind of say, okay, well, how can I improve on their listing? Do they have you know, bad iPhone photos. Well, I'm going to get pro photos. Uh, you know, is their listing not that great? Mine will be better. So then you can kind of gauge how, if you can outperform them or not. Uh, so that's another way. Um, so it's, it's, but there's also, you mentioned vacancy, which I wanted to zoom in on. So just because a property has a higher occupancy rate does not necessarily mean it's going to make more money. So for example, I own a four bedroom in the Smoky Mountains. And I also own a four bedroom in Destin, Florida. Uh, the Smoky Mountain one has a higher occupancy rate. It's really only kind of slow in January and February. And it's pretty much, I would say like 90% booked to the rest of the year. Nice. Whereas Destin, it is uh, March and April, 
it's like 80% booked for spring break. Once May hits, it's 100% booked from May to October. And then it's just kind of sparse bookings from November, December, January, February, and then beginning of March. So there's quite a bit of vacancy, but their gross annual income last year was very, very similar. So we made the same amount of money roughly uh, for the year on both properties, but the vacancy on the Destin one was much higher. Nice. Yeah, I like that. I think just having a good understanding of the vacancy factor, the, the numbers it performs throughout the whole year, and then seeing how that is on your return is the best way to go. And then seeing how your property can be competitive against other properties, you know, in quality, the materials, the um, photo photography, the videography, just information and your reviews can help drive it up faster to get um, get booked faster, right? Higher, higher bookings ratio. Um, so that really helps. And I've seen too, even in the Bay Area, like I've seen some um, other people I know, they, for example, let's just get Pacifica Coastside, the rentals on average for a long term might be four thousand, but the people who did short term rentals, um, they're hitting twelve to fifteen thousand a month, and they're doing it for a, quite a long term. And they know, on average, even with the vacancy factor in the mid in the parts of the year, they were killing the four thousand by far. Mm -hmm. So that's like wow, you know. But it's a different style, right? And you have to kind of diversify your portfolio and learn about that style and get used to it and take the calculated risks if you want. That makes sense, right? But it's like that's amazing that. And your management's pretty simple. You're pretty close by. It makes really good numbers and people enjoy the view, the surfing, the area, the close to SF. Mm -hmm. So, but how come more people aren't doing it yet? You know? They, they are. <laughs> they are. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. All the markets that I operate sales teams in have, it is, it's really difficult to get a property now because there are a lot more buyers than there are inventory. And I know that's kind of a, a symptom of the entire real estate market right now yeah. as in the country. But um, there's, there's a lot of, lot of short-term rental investors now. Uh, and I think it'll eventually get to where it's just considered, you know, another asset class and not kind of a like new school strategy at all. What kind of numbers are you seeing in general? Like just pick any specific, any area you like, but like what kind of, what kind, what can people kind of generally expect to uh, get started into um, vacation rentals? So in terms of like a it, investment or yeah. So for example, I want to work with you and I want to get my first vacation rental. How would you get me started? Okay. So first we would talk about what your, what your price range is, because what mm -hmm. your price range is, is going to determine how big of a property you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and in the beach markets, it's also going to determine whether you end up with a single family or a condo because the one through three bedrooms in the beach markets are typically condos. And then the four bedrooms and up are single families. Uh, in the mountain markets, there's everything from one bedroom to, you know, 27 bedroom cabin. So that's not as much of a concern. So we figure out how much you want to spend. Uh, the, the highest return on investment comes at the four bedroom and up mark because you can over double your income versus a two bedroom, but your expenses are only going to be like 10 to 15% more. They're not going to be double. So you just have a much wider profit margin there. So uh, if you, we'll, we'll just use a four bedroom as an example. Yeah, that's a great example. Sure. So we'll, we'll use, also use the Smoky Mountains as an example. So uh, four bedroom in the Smoky Mountains, you're looking at, uh, depending on the age of the property and a few other things. So like a 20 year old, cute, nice place to stay, nothing spectacular. You're probably looking at about 600,000 right now. Okay. And that'll gross you about 80,000 a year. Whereas a brand new four bedroom that's got like nice and modern cabin feel, and photographs really well, 
you're probably looking at like the 700 range and it's probably going to gross you close to a hundred. And then the new thing there is the indoor pool cabins. So a four bedroom, brand new four bedroom with an indoor pool, you're looking at probably like 800 and that's going to gross you 130, 140. And right. yeah, and it's, it's really difficult to, to tell anyone what they're going to net on a yeah. short-term rental because it's so different for everyone. It's 100% dependent on how you manage it. Um, so, but generally speaking in a lot of markets, there will be like a utilities disclosure where you can see what they've been paying for utilities and then they can plug in their mortgage payment there and kind of figure out what their net would be. Okay. And then you mentioned earlier too, for a vacation rental, you can probably start with a 10% down payment and get into one of these. Yes. So, uh, there are some stipulations to that and this is yeah. not, you know, lending advice. Definitely check with your lender before you make any decisions on anything. But there is what is called a vacation home loan that a lot of investors utilize to buy short-term rental properties. And what that is, it's a conventional Fannie Freddie product. And the interest rate is actually less than a conventional investment loan. And the stipulations to get one are the property has to be over 65 miles from your primary home. Okay. Uh, you have to intend to stay there for 14 days out of the year. And you have to, you can't put any sort of a, a contract on the property that takes the control away from you, taking away your ability to actually stay there. So no leases, no property management contracts, but there's nothing in the Fannie Mae guidelines as of now that says you can't rent it out when you're not using it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people utilize that to get a short-term rental property. Nice. And you mentioned, for example, let's just say you had a $600,000 property, you put 10% down, that's about $60,000 plus closing costs. And on average, you're saying uh, the rental throughout the year, including vacancy, was about was $60,000 or $80,000? About $80,000 for a $600,000 property, yeah. Nice. So when you look at that too and you calculate the total net, how much uh, net operating or um, cap rate are you just generally getting? So it's difficult to analyze them by cap rate just because mm -hmm. they're, they yeah. have to be appraised like based on a residential, a, a kind of non-standard real estate investing metric that I use mm -hmm. is you can kind of generally, if you do everything right, mm -hmm. expect to net between 35 and 45% of your gross after the mortgage is, is what I'm kind of seeing with my properties. Again, your net might be a little bit different because you manage things differently, but now that I've got quite a few and then I have a lot of clients, I've got, you know, done some polls on my Facebook group and that's generally what people are seeing. Okay. That's a good number. If you think about it, you're, you know, for example, if you had a certain down payment and you had all your expenses with the vacancy and the rentals, you're still able to net 35 to 40% on your money. That's really, really good. You know, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, you would throw a, technically you would want to throw a lot of money on the fire once it gets going, you know, and just keep yeah. going <laughs> and then choose specific areas. How do you choose between a beach, you know, beach area? Let's say four bedrooms. How do you choose between beach and like the Smoky Mountains? Well, it just depends on the specific investor. Uh, so a Smoky Mountain place is, like I said, is going to have a longer high season. So if you're somebody that like really wants to see roughly the same amount of cash flow coming through the door every single month, then maybe something like that is for you. Whereas if you're somebody who wants to be able to use it quite a bit yourself without cutting into the annual income, then maybe a beach market is better because while the annual income is very similar, you're going to have some downtime where you can go there without having to necessarily block it off and cut into your income. Yeah, I thought about that too. I was like, okay, that's great. When it's off season, you can just go enjoy it and just be close to it. And if you need to take some of it, you just take some or share it with your friends, you know? Yeah. 
That is nice. So like um, when for your team and your company, how do people work with you in you know starting to begin the vacations? What services do you provide and how does it all work? Like what do active investors have to do? Are they really active on the whole thing or they become can they become part passive with you guys? So they're going to need to be a little bit active. Um, so the way that it works is you if you're coming to us to buy a property, obviously we'll help you determine what your price range is, which market. A lot of our clients are looking with us in several different markets because the other thing that I didn't mention about that 10% down vacation home loan is you can do one per market. So you can buy one in the Smokies with us. You can buy one in Florida with us. Also offer the 10% down. Again, ask your lender, make sure that's, you know, the guidelines are the same as when this is recorded. But um, so we have people who are looking in different markets with us. And, uh, what we do is it's just, you know, the regular real estate agent fee, you know, whatever is advertised on the MLS, that's our commission. We don't charge any extra. Uh, we help you determine how much the property is going to make. And we also, once we get you close to the end of the contract and, you know, we're working with the property you're getting and not a hypothetical one, we will train you on everything you need to know from getting your Airbnb and VRBO listings up to the automation tools, to getting you connected with your vendors on the ground, like cleaners and handy people. And basically by the time you close with us, you are ready to turn the key and make money in whichever market you buy with us in. Nice. And, you know, I think one thing comes to mind too, like if you're helping a lot of clients in the same exact area buy properties, then, you know, they're competing against each other, but they all kind of understand your model. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is still going to be a lot of vacation, uh, vacationers who's going to want to be there anyways. So hopefully the whole group of people will have really good, um, people to visit and oh, yeah. you'll be fine in either way. How has that been affected, um, for these areas with due to COVID? How are they doing right now? It COVID actually caused a boom in all of our areas because they're drivable. So, you know, everybody was dying to get out of their houses last year, but they didn't want to get on planes and they didn't want yeah. to go to big metro areas. So, I mean, we're getting higher prices per night than we've ever seen. So do I think that's going to last forever? Maybe, maybe not. But I tell my clients to analyze based on 2019 numbers, not 2020, because they're, they were really high in 2020. Yeah. Um, so, and 2019 was a normal year. So it actually helped our markets a lot. I know the metro markets are hurting. I, I used to uh, sell short-term rentals in Nashville. I got out of that because it was just, it was too much hassle for my clients with all the legalities. And, uh, you know, they'd get under contract on a brand, like a pre-construction. And then by the time it goes to close, Nashville's changed the rules on them and they can't short-term rent it anymore. So, uh, but anyway, uh, like the metro markets like Nashville really got hurt with Corona. Yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that like, I see that too, where, you know, like, for example, let's just say class A properties, they're going to get hurt. If they're the higher price ones, the nice luxury ones. And at the same time, when you start looking at overall picture, if you're in a certain area where, for example, drivable, it's way easier. More, many more people can afford it. Many, many more people want to do it. You have a better uh, demographic data of people who can go there so the likelihood is going to be higher versus yeah metropolitan areas or flying to different locations right now with covid no one wanted to fly i don't even want to fly to different areas like hawaii and go vacation rental there I, and i even seen friends who who actually drove to different places and took vacation rentals right now especially during the whole time because they wanted that freedom to breathe the space the views and then just to relax so it is nice. I kind of can tell the boom was there and that's good that you guys looked into that. Just like how people are looking into like mobile home storage units, uh, other different investments, class B, class C prop multi-units, right? And the rentals have been doing well there. The vacancy factor has been doing 
pretty well and people who can afford to pay it even with covid has been doing pretty well yeah yeah a lot of our long terms are actually c class and we only had two people out of 24 doors have any any issues uh during covid but i mean one of them we were gonna evict anyway because he sucked and didn't pay rent before that ever happened so um it we only had two out of 24 and one of them was he was he was going to be gone anyway so it really was not it we we were very lucky during that time that we didn't have more issues than we did and then our short terms uh people actually so people who lived in drivable big cities that lived in small condos that saw it like in the downtown areas like atlanta nashville birmingham charlotte that were like oh looks like i'm gonna be working from home for a month can I come work from your cabin? And we're like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like they, they would email us and say, you know, what's the internet like? I need to work from home. So now we've implemented, you know, making sure that it, that's in our listing because people are going to be, you know, everybody's working from home now still. Uh, so we make sure to note that in our listings. Hey, this, we have great internet, work from home friendly. You know, come on for as long as you need. That's uh, one great thing that you just mentioned too, the great changes that happen in 2020 uh, for rental short-term or long-term is that, people's needs changed. And right now I see too, even for long-term rentals is that people want fast internet in the building. Uh, they want laundry services in the building. And for example, they want a backyard. They, want, they would prefer, of course, if you had any views, uh, garage parking, things to be at home and be more comfortable, bigger spaces, bigger bathrooms, bigger uh, whatever you can get, right? Yeah, and I'm kind of interested to see what that will do to building trends because you know the open floor plans and stuff, You know, maybe with two people working from home now and needing to be on the phone and being able to hear each other. I'm kind of interested to see if there's going to be the open floor plan is going to change a little bit to more closed off rooms so people can be in separate spaces in the same house at the same time. Yeah, I, I wonder about that too, because I, yeah, the open space was nice. But yeah, definitely now if there's a group of people like four or five or six and you're all at home, are you guys all locked in your bedroom because you guys want to isolate the noise? and you're not going to be in open space together, or you're really comfortable with your roommates being in the same space together, knowing that each of you might go out in different times and people, right? Mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting. I know some places had um, a lot of people who had four or five, six bed um, roommates, they actually got rid of them. They went to two bedrooms instead, just to try to isolate themselves a little bit more. And the rentals went down anyways, so they felt more comfortable. I'll just get a two bedroom instead of a six bedroom, right? Mm -hmm. So that is a change too. And then I guess we'll see what happens to the open spaces versus closed off spaces. But at the same time, if it becomes closed off, how long can you sit in a box? You know, yeah, you still want an open I mean, area. There's just more rooms and houses now or like they're taller or I don't know. I'm just, uh, maybe nothing will change, but it's interesting. Yeah. Hopefully bigger backyards or better backyards because a lot of backyards were, for example, in the Bay Area, a lot of cemented backyards. Well, that's not really attractive, right? It's not really enjoyable. And now people are trying to make it like their own oasis and really make it really nice so you can just enjoy your own private backyard. So that'll be different too. And then just the marketing behind all this, the changes for rentals is different now. And it's harder because you're trying to find a specific price point. You want Landlord always wants the highest, but how are they really going to achieve that right now in this market? And having more rooms is more difficult now. Before it used to be super easy because you have four bedrooms, five bedrooms, and you're living in a you know SF, then people want to join in into that home to get a bigger house, right? But now it's different you have five bedrooms, six bedrooms, it's harder because people don't want to get together now to live together. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, it's times are changing. <laughs> it is. So like for these rentals, okay. So you, you guys got all that down and then how long have you guys been doing short-term rentals? 
since 2016. So about five years. 2016. What do you have? What did you guys learn throughout the time period? And like, uh, any failures, things that people should know, be aware of, and um, how to become successful at it from the get go? So we haven't had any major failures. We've definitely had some learning experiences. Uh, I think the biggest one was that people get so caught up in like, you know, wanting to create this amazing experience and be like the best short-term rental host ever. And that's great. You want to be good at what you're doing, but not at the expense of your sanity and your cash flow. So uh, we started setting business hours on our Airbnb of like, okay, we're not going to respond to you past this time of the evening. If it's an emergency call that whichever authorities need to be called. Uh, and we, that did not hurt bookings at all. We have not gotten one bad review over it. And so that's definitely something that, that we, it took us several years to learn several years of like, you know, getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and checking to make sure we didn't miss anything that it's okay to set business hours. And, um, you know, a lot of people can get caught up in over improving a short-term rental. Obviously you want it to be a cute, nice place to stay, but if you're buying in the right market, you're not going to have to like a lot of gurus, well, short-term rental, like teach you how to Airbnb, your property gurus will say that you have to like, in order to make money, you have to create this really unique experience. Like you have to turn your short-term rental into a rocket ship that blasts off twice a week. As long <laughs> as you're, you know, as long as your property is what is the, what, what the expectation of the tourists in that market are then you're going to be okay if you're buying in the right market. If you have to turn your property into a spaceship, then you're probably not buying in the right market. So uh, just don't get too caught up in, in over-improving things. And then, you know, I learned my biggest thing was it's okay to put it down for a little while. It feels weird putting it down for a while because like when you feel like you're vacant and you don't, you, you have that unknown, even though if you, in your head, you know, the market's going to be this cycle, right? But the unknown of it's, it's vacant for so like a week, a month, and you know, that's part of the cycle, but in your life, psychologically, you're like, oh, this really hurts me. Even though in the yearly, you know, Hey, I'm making really good money. Yeah. So I was kind of afraid of that when, because I invested in the Smokies first and then I bought my beach places. So I was a little nervous about seasonality. Yeah. And when it came time for the slow season at the beach, it was actually kind of a welcome break of, you know, guests asking questions and maintenance calls and things like that. So um, it was kind of like a nice little resting of the brain for a month or two. How does, like, you know, you mentioned that you have to be a little more active in a short-term rental versus just say a uh, long-term investment. What kind of time are you really investing into um, short-term rentals like as an owner? I would say it's less than 30 minutes a week for one property. And it does not, that time does not double for two properties. It's really only like 10% more time because you've already got the system in place. You're just adding to it. Nice. Um, and 30 minutes is actually not bad at all. I think even a week is not bad at all because even for a long-term investment, you're still managing, like for example, you manage tenants, you're managing leases, you're managing when they want to move out, any maintenance issues throughout the year. Hopefully you don't have a, such an old property that you have to do a lot of maintenance. Um, but as soon as you get to a, a nicer state, you actually have a lot less maintenance to manage throughout the year. So it actually gets easier and faster. Um, but 30 minutes is not too per week is not too bad. Adding 10% is not too bad. And what do they do? Like what's the normal schedule like for a, um, investor to do what would they be you know doing so once you have the property up and listed and you have your um 
why can I not think of the word channel manager, channel management software. So that you have got to have that if you don't want to spend a lot of time on these. So there's several different platforms you can use. Uh, Your Porter is the one that we use. IGMS is another great one. Uh, I think there's one called Smart BNB. There's quite a few. And what they do is they automate a lot of the tasks for you. So when a guest books your property, it will automatically send them a, like, here's what you need to know about the property email. Uh, it will automatically send them their door code, check-in instructions, FAQs, directions, like two days before they check in. We have ours set to like halfway through on our Smoky Mountain ones, halfway through the booking, it'll send them one that recommends our favorite hikes. So it sounds like it's coming from us. And then it automatically sends them their checkout instructions the day before checkout. So you used to have to go through and do all that yourself, but now it's just done for you. Automatically updates the cleaners calendar, whether it's uh, Google Calendar, Outlook, iCal, whatever they're using. So really, you're, it's just kind of like answering a few text messages here and there. If somebody asks you something very specific, like, hey, where's this in the cabin? And you can just respond and say, oh, it's in the closet. Uh, so you do have to just keep an eye on your notifications on your phone. But it's really just like answering a few texts. That's really good. Actually, that's really nice to see how automated it is. I wish the long-term rentals was as automated. I know there's for the big companies, yeah, they are, but for the small mom and pop shops, they're not, right? There's not the service that kind of has all that preset for you, pre-templated, and you just like answer back and forth. Um, so that's really cool that the way to do it is a lot less work than you think it is. I think the main point is buying the finding the getting a loan, uh, finding the right agent who special who knows you know short term rentals and buying the property in the right area, and just getting used to starting to manage a short term rental um, and using the services like Airbnb or Your Porter app or IGMS to manage and get familiar with the software, and just you know have the expectation that you're not going to be 100% vac uh, occupied, you're going to have vacancy. And as long as it's seasonality and you're not causing the issue, um, then it'll be, it'll be pretty good. And you can kind of tell the return. But if you're starting with a 10% down in a lower number compared to a investment property, that might make sense for you. Um, and then a part of this too is that when you're doing a short-term rental, I think that, you know, it's nice to just enjoy the space to see it and then watch it grow. And also the fact you mentioned too, having really good photography or having good descriptions and hopefully really good reviews and keeping it nice and clean, whether you're putting a little money in just to start it and get it rolling versus putting a lot of money in to make it luxurious um, works, right? It helps, it makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen some um, places that look nice when you get there, it's not really that nice. And then some places who have really bad service and then there's some places who don't look as nice, but they have really good service. But yeah, it's the most important thing is to just make sure that expectations are set with the guests up front. So as long as there's not any surprises, any negative surprises for them when they get there, like uh, in the mountains, a big one is a steep road. Mm -hmm. We like we've got two that are on really steep roads. They have really amazing views, but uh, we like slap guests in the face with that three or four times before they Act before they book. So we're like, you know, the road is steep. Is that okay with you? And then, you know, they're not surprised by it, but if you let them just find that out when they get there, they're going to be scared. They're going to be nervous. And then they're going to leave you a bad review. So it's, it's just managing the expectations is all. Yeah. I don't think enough people do that. They set, set the correct expectations. Like, like you just said, Hey, steep road, or you got to do something crazy to get there. People are just like, Oh, they'll just figure it out. And hopefully they'll just book and not leave me a bad review. I think over communicating a little bit more and setting the expectation up front. So they're aware of what they're getting into. And they already, you already told them multiple times and they accepted that then they'll be fine. They won't 
um, have any negative review against you. Exactly. That makes total sense. I think more people need to do that. <laughs> Set expectations, <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's like grand, grand house, beautiful views, beautiful scenery. They don't mention it's like a little cottage and it just like, <laughs> it's really yeah. odd. Yeah. <laughs> they make it look way better than it should be, right? Okay, cool. So one more thing too, we're gonna jump into real quick is the, some fun facts about you. Uh, we're looking, uh, learning more about you, and you know, you mentioned that you're you are a championship soccer player. You were a lead guitar player in a punk rock band, and a part of Capital and Atlantic Records. How did you get into all that, and then jump into real estate? Well, so the soccer thing, I do have a Big Twelve championship ring from University of Texas. Uh, so wow. I grew up in a really teeny tiny town in Mississippi. I happened to be really good at soccer in high school. And I kind of, that was my ticket out, my ticket to the big city. Oh, so nice. I went to University of Texas in Austin and I got into, I'd always like kind of mess around with playing guitar, but uh, in Austin, obviously it's a live music capital of the world. So I did get involved in being in some bands there and nothing anybody's ever heard of. And, um, so I went that direction with what I thought was going to be my career. Uh, I was working in the music business as a marketing manager. Uh, I worked for Capital Atlantic and then a few like publishing companies. And that's when I got my real estate license. So I found out pretty quickly after I got my master's degree that uh, I make a an absolutely terrible employee. I'm definitely <laughs> more of an entrepreneur than an employee. And uh, so we're kind of figure, trying to figure out what my what my career path was going to be. And as we kind of fell into the real estate accidentally, uh, and then people kind of started asking how, you know, how do I do this? That's when I just got my license and like went for it. Nice. And do you think that um, the championships, being a championship soccer player, being, you know, driven, right. And motivated and coming from a background within um, like, for example, the music industry helped you accelerate your real estate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because there, you know, if you're not successful at real estate, then it's failure. There's like nothing really in between in real estate investing. You either have made a ton of money or you have completely lost your behind. So um, it's, I definitely, since I'm comfortable in that space, uh, that's definitely, and so is my husband, uh, that's definitely been an asset. And then also, you know, coming up in college athletics, I'm used to being like, screamed at by coaches and stuff. So when you get the occasional tough client that likes to yell, I'm pretty good at, at taking that. <laughs> so um, yeah, every everything has led to where I am now for sure. Nice. I think that competitive nature too, and, you know, being a soccer player and just any, any sport, like having the competitive nature and the drive motivates you even further to not fail. You know, you're going to, especially in real estate, you can easily fail really bad. Right. And having the competitive advantage that, you know, you're going to do it and you have that self-motivation and drive that you'll get there. That's what makes a lot of uh, good agents successful. Um, others who don't have the self-motivation, it's really hard to do real estate in general, whether your agent sales investing, you know, it's a challenge because you have to get over in real estate. You have to get over all these hurdles. Right. And it's not easy. And not everyone's just going to handhold you to the goal and make you a lot of money. You got to earn it and learn and fail to get to the, where you want to be. And for, even for you guys having 30 properties, properties is a lot of work, right? Wasn't easy yeah. to get there overnight. Oh no, no. You just really have to be someone who is going to continue to push without someone pushing you rather than waiting for things to come to you because they're never just going to fall in your lap. 
Is there a way to scale too? You know, we mentioned um, briefly earlier about loans and just like getting qualified and of course talking to your specific lender in your specific city and state, but like, is there any hurdles to get past four, 10, you know, plus um, short-term rentals that you know of? If you're getting conventional loans, your DTI is going to be your biggest hurdle. But at that point, you just get a commercial one. Uh, there are several commercial lenders out there that are geared towards short-term rentals now. Uh, Host Financial is one of them. Uh, there's another one out of Austin called Vizio. Uh, I haven't used either one of them personally, but I do have clients that that utilize them to to add to their portfolio for sure. Okay, good. So that way they can start with one and hey, it goes really well. Okay, I'll take another one and another one and just keep adding up. And then hopefully they don't run into detail issues. Are, are they able to use the, the rental income from these properties to qualify with their loan? You can if you're getting a an investment loan. You do have to, for most banks, you have to show two years of short-term mm -hmm. rental income for it to be used. Uh, if you're getting a vacation home loan, they cannot use projected rental income because it's mm -hmm. supposed to be for your vac vacation home, not an investment. So it should not come into play. Yeah. But, so that's kind of how that works. Okay. So yeah, I just got basically, you know, you got to run your numbers, guys, and then figure out the best strategy and how long it takes you to get to each one, whether it's a two-year hurdle to the next one, or you have really good income and you're buying a different at a lower price point, for example, so you can buy more, you know, and just create that cash flow. But I like the short-term rental cash flow because like you mentioned earlier, it's a boost into your cash flow while you can use that money to invest in long-term investments as well and multi-units if you if you like or other kinds of different real estate avenues. So for even for you, do you um, invest more in multi-units or homes or short-term rentals? Uh, it's really just kind of like whatever opportunity presents itself at the time. Uh, like we're under contract on a 12-unit a multi right now, and we're also nice. under contract on two teeny tiny single families. So uh, we we uh, invest for, for long-terms in Chattanooga. And, um, you know, those are about 100000 bucks each, like for a duplex. So... We just kind of pick those off on on an ongoing basis because you don't it's not like an apartment building where you have a gigantic chunk of money going out the door at one time that you can just kind of keep going and not really notice and then uh, i had a a short-term rental opportunity just present itself to me i wasn't even in the market i was looking actually for a little bit of office space for myself <laughs> just because there's so much going on in our house all the time um that my home office sometimes doesn't work for what we're trying to accomplish here. And uh, I couldn't find anything uh, where I live on 30A in Florida. There's not a lot of commercial space because they want to keep it not commercial. Yeah. And uh, so I started looking around. I was like, I don't want to rent anything because that's not, I mean, that's, I can't rent. I'm a landlord. I cannot rent anything. It just doesn't work with my brain. It's so hard to do that. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, maybe there's some like small little office strip I could buy where I could use part of it as my office and then rent the rest of somebody else. So I started calling around because there's nothing anywhere online. And I called a, a like a little community uh, called Golf Place down here. And uh, I said, do you guys have any office space for rent or is it anything for sale? And they said, no, but we have these townhomes that are right behind that are part of our community and they're mixed use, they're office on the bottom and short-term rentals on the top. And I was like, oh, Dang. excuse me? <laughs> so You just call my name here? Yeah. And so I heard I my name shout out. Yeah. I dug around and found you. one that wanted to sell. And I'm like, and so we're closing on that in a couple weeks too. So, nice. You know, it's Did really you sell the whole community too? Since you're already there, you already know it. You should just sell the whole thing for them. Yeah, I should. Yeah. But, uh, actually, one just did hit the market today that 
for quite a bit more than what I'm under contract on for an identical unit. So okay. hopefully if it makes sense for your next investor, you can always introduce it to them. Say, Hey, you have one next door. You can come visit me, but you know, here's, here's a good opportunity. If it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just whatever opportunity presents itself at the time, we try to keep enough cash on hand to be able to be kind of flexible and, you know, jump when things present themselves. Cash is king, right? <laughs> exactly. Just like your stock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's amazing. Cool. I'm so glad that we, today we got to talk more about short-term rentals, vacation homes, and how that just works in general, because, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot of gurus out there. There's all these I different ideas, but, but I think it really does make sense. It's a newer avenue of real estate, but if you look at the numbers, it can make sense for you. Um, it's a great way to do it. And I think before one more thing, before I, I remember um, a guru real estate guy, he mentioned, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? And I'll ask you about that. He said, get a short-term rental, right? And if you run the numbers correctly and you know you're managing it in pretty conservative, but you're managing in a good number, he goes, instead of buying furniture, he just rents the furniture, right? So he says, okay, I'll just buy a 10-unit or 12-unit in Tennessee, for example, in a good area. I'll have it vacant. I'll remodel each unit. I'll rental. I'll do rentals. Um, I'll rent all the furniture out per unit and the cost wise i'll justify into cost but overall i'm not paying um, all this money cash out and my numbers are still great and i'll improve the building and after that i will resell it again oh that's a great strategy that's very a very specific strategy but that is a great strategy so in the markets that i buy short-term rentals there mm -hmm. since so many of them were vacation rentals before yeah normally furnished so you don't have to mess with that as much but that is a really great strategy very interesting yeah, nice. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, because yeah, most of them would already come, but he was talking about, okay, let's do it at a bigger scale. Let's go for a 10 unit building in a specific area that has the vacation area, you know? So, like, hmm, that actually makes sense because he's just showing me cost analysis and showing me the cost of buying all the furniture per unit, times by 10 or 20 units. It goes, that's expensive. But if I had some long term, some short terms, and the cost to do that, and I held it over five years, I'm going to make more money. And I don't have to, any liability to the furniture. I could just jump it all back that's, to the owner. Yeah. yeah that's, that's pretty cool. Okay. Well, we'll talk more about that later. Just, you know, run these numbers, right? And see what's best for our clients in that. So how do people reach out to you? You can find me on my website at theshorttermshop.com or on Instagram at theshorttermshop. Cool. And can they reach you at averycarl.com as well? They can. That just is going to point them right back to theshorttermshop.com. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for being on our show today and make sure everyone out there Reach out to Avery if you have any questions on short-term rentals um, and different areas that she already caters in. And feel free to reach us as well. And thank you so much for being on The Truth About Real Estate today. And I'll see you guys in the next one.